Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the Equipping Church. We pray you are empowered and encouraged by the Word of God. We thank you, Father, this morning that your anointing is in this room. And your word declares that it is by reason of the anointing that every yoke of bondage is broken. And we thank you that there are testimonies in this room this morning. That, Father, you are the deliverer. You are the healer. You are the provider. You are that way maker. God, we thank you that there have been so many times where there have been no way out. And all of a sudden, you just break it open, God. We thank you, Father, this morning for your presence and your power in this room this morning that you are are able to save. Your, Your arm is not shortened, but you are the God who is right on time every single time. And we thank you for your presence right now in this room, God. We thank you for your presence in this room right now. And we thank you that even as we stand here today, God, you're already touching people. You're already setting them free, God. That there are addictions being broken this morning. That depression is being broken this morning. That suicide is being broken this morning. Eating disorders are being broken this morning. That, Father, there are, there are situations and there are circumstances that you're intervening in right now. We thank you, Father, that the anointing breaks every yoke. We thank you that you're the yoke destroyer. You're the bondage breaker. You're the chain breaker, God. I hear chains falling this morning, God. We give you honor and praise this morning, God, that you're in the room and you are able. You're able. You're able. That's who you are. We can't do it, but you can. Nothing is impossible with you, God. With men, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Oh, we bless you, Jesus. Come on, church, just take a few minutes to just bless the Lord this morning. Come on, just give Him your praise. Give Him your praise this morning. Come on, just lift Him up. Come on, just glorify Him this morning. Oh, we worship you, King Jesus. We worship you in this place this morning. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, we magnify you, Jesus. Oh, you're worthy this morning, God. You're worthy this morning, God. Hallelujah, you're worthy. You're worthy, God. You're worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't you turn and greet somebody this morning and just welcome them to church this morning? If you have kids ages 2 to 10, uh, children's ministries available at the back, uh, through those doors back there, hallelujah, 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 Jesus, 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 almighty God, we worship you, we worship you, mighty God, hallelujah, hallelujah, aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Aren't you glad to be gathered with people who love Jesus? Hallelujah. We need it more than ever before. We need it more than ever before. I'm telling you, uh, I want to say something to you this morning. 
The world may be getting darker, but the light of His glory just gets brighter and brighter. Amen? And uh, He's coming back. There might be some people who'd tell you that He's not, but He is. And He's coming to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our God. Amen? It's not a spiritual kingdom. It's a real kingdom. And we serve a real king who's going to overthrow principalities and powers of darkness and the rulers of this present age. There's good news in the house this morning. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm so glad that we serve a God who, who isn't moved by the world's circumstances. Amen? He's not moved by this economy. He's not moved by inflation. Hallelujah. He's not moved by any of that. God's not moved by any of those circumstances. We serve an unshakable kingdom. Hallelujah. We're in a series uh, called Engaged, and I want to uh, continue in that idea this morning about being engaged, and if I had to give it a subtitle this morning, it's Take Down the Giants. How many of you are ready to take down some giants in your life this morning? I, uh, as I was just kind of pondering and, and thinking about what we've talked about last week, and, and really since the beginning of the year, we have a job to do. We have a position to fill. I talked about last week that our position is to take a stand between the living and the dead. That just as Aaron took the censer out into the middle where there was a plague and there were people on one side dying and then there were some on this side that were alive, we're called to take that position between the living and the dead. And uh, on this side of the cross, we get to take the dead and bring them to life. And that, that's an incredible privilege that we have as believers, that we carry the life-giving kingdom on the inside of us, and we're called to bring that kingdom to people around us. And so as I've just been pondering that, and even my own, uh, can, can we just be real this morning, my own insecurities when it comes to evangelism, and it comes to sharing the gospel. Anyone ever felt insecure about that? Amen. Some of you, some of you don't. Pray for me. Hallelujah. Um. But, but I also want to say to you that, that you know, it's, it isn't enough to come in here and eat well each week. That, that we're called to, to go feed people. And uh, in doing so, reaching out really is never easy to do. Now, some of you have that natural gift, and hallelujah, we'll have an impartation service. You pray for everybody, all right? But um, we all have a natural tendency to follow the path of least resistance. And we understand that outreach is difficult. Reaching out can be challenging. It can be uncomfortable at times. And so we kind of tend to relegate outreach to special events. Well, we're going to do a big outreach, and so that's outreach, right? We, we just say that once a year thing where we get a little uncomfortable and talk to a few people that come onto the church lawn. That's outreach. And so we, we, we get real uncomfortable, and so we relegate it to that. And we fail to realize that outreach is a lifestyle, it's not an event. That we should reach out everywhere we go, that it should be a natural part of who we are, and that there should be a reaction when people come into contact with us. I, I get the incredible privilege to celebrate my spiritual mom's 80th birthday tomorrow morning in California. So I get to fly today, and honestly, being in the airport is one of my favorite places because people don't know me there. And so in my own hometown, it's a little more difficult to, to do outreach. You know, when I'm going to Walmart, they're going to know I'm the pastor across town, and then they might show up on a Sunday morning. Or they might catch me in traffic here when I'm trying to get saved because all the college students have come back to town and there's traffic in Bryan. 
Love our college students. Don't, don't get me wrong there. I, I love them. I welcome them. I'm so glad they're here. I want to see them come out of hell and go to heaven. But there's days on Briarcrest where I have to pray in tongues. And so, so when I'm in the airport, though, I get to, to really be the evangelist who blows in, blows up, and blows out, right? You know, it's like one, one spot encounter. But then there's the times where they ask me my name and they look me up later and send me emails. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. But I get to travel today, so I'm actually really excited about that because I get to sit on an airplane. And you know what I tell people when they ask me what I do? I say I'm an exorcist. I cast out devils for a living. I am a son of Brent. Brent Douglas says the same thing. I get to cast out devils for a living. That's what I get to do. And then I get, I get real excited because then I get to ask God for words of knowledge about people. God, tell me something about this person sitting next to me that, that I didn't know. And that's real fun. But, but in our own community, it gets real hard, right? Can we just be real this morning? And so it, it's difficult and a stretch. And so we, we have this tendency to isolate ourselves and we want to protect ourselves. And we, we kind of insulate ourselves by hanging out with others that are like us. And yet we know that we've been given a promised land. And everywhere we go, everywhere our foot touches, we're supposed to take for our king. And we have an inheritance. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we are simply called and directed to take, to take back what belongs to him. That those people out there that don't know him yet, they belong to him. He paid a price for them and we get to be part of the process to get them back to him. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, which was relationship with mankind. And so as I was thinking about all of that, I began to think about the children of Israel and where they found themselves, that they were captives. How many of us were once captives, slaves in bondage, and now we're set free? And here the children of Israel, they were once captive, and they're getting ready to take what God had been promising them. Can you, can you think about this with me for a second? Here they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Captive for 400 years, generations that all they knew was slavery. And yet God was promising them in their captivity, I'm going to give you land that you didn't plant. And I'm going to give you houses that you didn't build. And I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of us have promises over our lives that we're still waiting to see come to pass? Anybody have some promises? Right here. We've all got some promises. And, and so I was thinking about the children of Israel in this process. And we come to this interesting kind of junction in their story where the children of Israel begin to spy out the promises. And I want to show you what happens to them. Because I, I want to tell you we're ready to win the world, but before we can possess it, there's some things that we have to deal with. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. It'll be up on the screen if you need it. Numbers 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. I always thought this was real funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of pause as I read this morning. That God said to send some men, because men hate asking for directions. Any men in the room hate asking for directions? I even argue with Siri sometimes. That's not the way to go. And, and, and I often... I have joked that they probably would have possessed the land quicker had God sent some women into the land. 
Anyone testify to that this morning? I'm going to get in trouble with the men this morning. That's okay. I, remember, I cast out devils for a living. It'll be okay. It says, so send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. I want you to take note of something before we jump to the next part of this. He says, I want them to spy out the land. I'm going to give them. Do you, do you get that? When, when God prepares you for something, he gives you a promise to carry you through to it. So he says, go look at it because I'm going to give it to you. I, wa I want you to hold that in the back of your head. Jump down to verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. I mean, they were carrying grapes the size of men's head. I mean, I, I want you to think about this for a second. The, the fruit was so plentiful and, and, and gargantuan. I mean, can you imagine a grape this big? Like, here's these clusters of grapes that took two men to carry back. So they go and they see the promises. They're carrying the fruit of the promises. And they're saying, it certainly does. Everything God said, it's true. But then look at the next verse. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Have you ever had a nevertheless moment in your life? God, all of this is true. It's flowing with milk and honey. Bah. But the descendants, those, those big Nephilim, those giants, they're there. And the cities are really fortified and they're strong and, and all these things. Verse 30, I love what Caleb says. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. Caleb, one verse says he had a different spirit. That word different is the, the Hebrew word akar. It means this. He jutted out a little bit different than the rest. He carried something on the inside of him that set him apart. And he says, don't listen to all of them. Let's go get our land. Let's go get our promises. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they'd spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we sought and are men of great size. They also, there we also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were... In their sight. That is one of the greatest principles you will ever learn from Scripture. Is that the, the sons of, of, the, of Israel said, And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we became in their sight. You are only going to find your weakness when you look at it yourself, and that's where the enemy seeks to devour you. They weren't grasshoppers in their sight until they became grasshoppers in their own sight. 
says, so we became grasshoppers in our own sight, so we became grasshoppers in their sight. The enemy can only overcome the areas in your life that you have not fully surrendered to the promises of God. Because when you have a promise living on the inside of you and you have the truth that you're motivated by, the enemy can't touch truth. So as long as you keep viewing yourself as the grasshopper, the enemy then has a right to call you a grasshopper. As long as you still live as the victim, that's the only way the enemy can call you a victim. But I choose to live by the Bible that says I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And so I want to look at one other passage this morning. Hop over to Joshua 15. If you know the story, the children of Israel then wandered for 40 years and they they lived in all of these lies for 40 years and a whole generation had to die off. But Joshua and Caleb lived. And so in Joshua 15, it says Joshua gave Caleb. It says, now he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the sons of Judah, according to the command of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron. Verse 14, this is key. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai and Ahiman and Talmai, the children of Anak. I want to pray and then we're going to dive into this this morning. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you for the anointing that makes preaching easy. I thank you, Father, that I might communicate your word to your people this morning. And that by that, that they would begin to overcome the things that have held them back from being your witnesses in the earth. Father, I pray this morning that when I pull my hands back, there would be evidence that you've touched your people, not me. I'm completely aware of my total uh, dependence on you this morning, God. Without you, I can do nothing, but in you, I live and move and have my being. And I thank you, Father, that you would anoint my mouth to speak your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think many times we are like the Israelites. We are ready to possess when suddenly we realize that there's some giants in the land. We begin to realize, and the reason that outreach is so difficult for most of us is that it requires us to face some giants, to face some things that we don't like to square off against. We don't even like to admit that they exist and that actually they have some power over us. And in order for us to be able to engage our culture, we must be willing to first engage the same giants that were in the land that day. Now, I could get real theological for a moment. I'm not going to do that this morning because it'll take me a long time to, to weave this web. But if I were to dive into the origin of these three giants that we're going to talk about, they were Nephilim. They were sons of fallen angels. They were spirits in human form. And we face the same spirits today. And I'm going to tell you about three of them. And we must confront and conquer the three giants that I believe have kept and continue to keep us from reaching out to those God has given to us. And every time we're ready to become engaged, these same three giants will show up. The first is Shishai. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. S-H-E-S-H-A-I. The first giant that Caleb drove out was Shishai. 
Now, when we study the origin of this name, there's a lot of debate about what it means. It's not a, a common word in the Hebrew. So we don't have a ton of knowledge of what it means, but I found a couple definitions of what it might mean. The first is prim and proper. The second is whitish. And I thought, whitish, what does that mean? And the origin of that is having a racist attitude. So that one really got me. It also means prejudice. Most of us would say that has no bearing on me. If you know our church, we're a long way from formal. Right? You're not going to see me in a three-piece suit on a Sunday with shined shoes. It just ain't going to happen. I can't roll that way. But how many of us on the inside carry a little bit of that prim and proper attitude? We might not be laced up on the outside, but on the inside we are as laced up as they get. And this is what will happen when this spirit shows up. When someone walks in who's never been in church, who doesn't know how to act, who doesn't know how to lift their hands, who doesn't know what worship is, who, who doesn't know the culture of Christianity. When I give you instructions during a prayer time, maybe to begin to, to combat and to warn the person standing next to you, and I've had this happen in a church one time, this guy who was newly saved began to cuss at the devil. <laughs> Satan, you blankety blank, blank, blankety blank. I had the pastor come up to me, I can't believe you just let him do that. I said, he's newly saved. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. We can't lace him up the first Sunday. You know that guy went on to lead a motorcycle ministry and has seen thousands of people saved? And I wasn't concerned whether he used a curse word in his first prayer ever in his life. But this spirit, I'm telling you, when the bum who reeks of alcohol and urine decides to sit down next to you in service. When the young person who's into drugs and in trouble with the law decides to become involved in our youth group. When a person visits our family who doesn't even dress up to our relaxed standards. I told the story a few weeks ago. I was in a worship service one time and there was this girl down at the front wearing hardly anything but worshiping unabandoned, and I began to judge her. And my friend leaned over and says, isn't that a beautiful sight? She was a prostitute three weeks ago and got gloriously saved. Isn't that incredible? How often do we do those things when people who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us, don't have the same color of skin as us, you know, when I came and, and began to pastor this church, I had an elder in the church, and Linda could testify to this. I had an elder in this church say, we really need to reach out to the rich white people in town first. That's how we need to grow the church first. I looked at them, I said, they wouldn't fit in here. What are we talking about? I mean, for, for many of us, we, we have our own salt and pepper story of coming to Jesus. We have our own wild, crazy. I know some of your stories. I know where you, I know where I came from. All right. I grew up on the wrong side of town in my hometown. I grew up in a primarily Hispanic neighborhood. 
primarily Hispanic town. I grew up with a dad who was a street pharmacist. Some of you don't even know what that is. I, and I still have struggles sometimes. Can we get real? I've had to work through my mindsets and my preconceived ideas and some of my conservative white evangelical theology and work through some of my Republican ideologies and work through some of these things that keep us so bound. And that's what Shishai does. Shishai comes and tries to say, don't embrace other cultures. Get them to adapt to yours. See, how we worship in America isn't how they worship in Uganda or how they worship in Fiji or how they worship even in New Zealand. How they worship in other... I remember I was so offended in New Zealand the first time I went. I couldn't understand all the the native people stuff. I was like, what is this? Why aren't they doing what we do? I mean, if any of you have ever seen a haka, anyone ever seen a haka? Owen can do a haka. It'll offend you if you don't know what you're looking at. It's like this war dance and their tongues hit their chins and they do all this stuff. And I'm like, what in the world is this? But what you begin to learn is that he is the God of all tribes, all nations, all tongues. He's the God of every color, red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in his sight. And we've got to deal with the inner prejudices. We've got to deal, if there was ever an hour that we need to deal with our racism and our prejudices. And I'm not talking about a political movement. I'm talking about a kingdom movement where everybody comes to the cross and is made equal. We've got to deal with it. I I began to get frustrated recently because I began to hear All this conversation from well-seasoned saints begin to talk about, well, they're just pushing interracial marriage on TV. Why is that even an issue? Like, I couldn't couldn't grasp it. I'm like, why why is this an issue? We got to deal with it. Who is to say that when they walk through those doors, they got to fit in? I still don't fit in, and I'm the pastor of the church. Somebody really thinks I don't fit in. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm saying all this to say because I I really feel like some of you will remember the two-wave prophecy I gave a few years ago. Anyone remember the two-wave prophecy? There were two waves coming to the church. The first wave would be people who knew Jesus but hated church because they were hurt by church and they were hurt by things that happened in church, but that they would come here and they'd find a safe haven and they'd get restored and recognize their purpose again. The second wave would be the first wave going to get the second wave and they would be people who have never been to church, don't understand church, don't understand our language, don't understand any of that. I believe that after the first of this year, we have crossed over into going to get the second wave. That God has built a foundation of the first wave so that we could go get the second wave, but when they walk through those doors, they won't even know who Jesus is. You need to understand that we are living in a time and season where there are people in this nation who have never heard the name Jesus. 
that can be hard for our, our churchianity mindset to grapple with. But let me tell you this, that if we begin to do things differently, Shishai will rise up and want to keep you bound when the stage isn't done like you wanted, when the services aren't run just like you wanted, when the activity you wanted isn't done, then this giant will show up and we may not think we will face this giant, but we will. And you have to deal with the prejudices on the inside of you. That's the first one. The second one, a hymen. The second giant that Caleb faced is this giant that I believe is doing the most damage and keeps us from engaging. A hymen's name literally is a question. Who is my brother? This is the giant of apathy and indifference. It also means no standards at all. And I believe this is, this is the giant that's doing the most damage because it is both apathy and it is saying there's no rules in the kingdom. Anyone goes to heaven. There's many roads to heaven. Let me tell you, there's one way, and it's through Jesus. All right? You've got to know Jesus to get to heaven. And there's a real hell. It's hot, and that's why we've got to go get the second wave, because there's a generation that's going to a really hot hell for all of eternity. Dante said this, though, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral crisis. Let me say it to you again. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who remain neutral in a time of great moral crisis. I think you could go on to say that the coldest, deadest churches are also reserved for those who do nothing when those around them are dying and going to hell. I don't care how large the church is. If they're doing nothing to rescue people from hell, they are dead. And I think that we are face to face with a time of great moral crisis. And when you look around and discover that since 2001, there has been a 92% increase in the number of unchurched Americans. 92% increase of unchurched Americans. Now, in some ways, that's really good that they're unchurched because they don't come with all the religious dogma and all the religious boxes that keep them from actually knowing Jesus. But what do we do to fill the gap? In 2001, there were 39 million unchurched Americans. In 2021, it is comparatively that there are 100 million unchurched Americans. That's half of our population. We, I mean, listen, I, I love missions, and I, we're going to India, and India is one of the largest unreached people groups in America or in the world. But in America, half our population is unreached. Can we get real about it? Can we get real about it? The average church in America, these numbers are staggering, y'all, spends $250,000 a year to win one person to Christ a year. $250,000 a year to win one person you suddenly come to realize that a hymen is roaming throughout our hearts and our churches because there's apathy and there's no action. Ralph Chaplin said this, Mourn not the dead that in the cool earth lie, but rather mourn the apathetic throng, the coward and the meek, who see the world's great anguish and its wrong and dare not speak. 
We are more concerned about what church can do for me. We come to church and we want to be entertained. Our attitude is give me goosebumps. Church is about me. It's about my condition, my pain, my healing, my desires, my wants. And we're concerned with my own growth, my own comfort to sing my favorite song, to preach my style of message, to go as long as I want you to go in my own progress. And all of that is important. You need to get healed up. You need to get freed up. And you need to get filled up. That is our, our, our mantra around here. We want you to get healed and free and filled. But to do something. There is power for purpose. He says, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. I think the American church, specifically the Pentecostal church, has grown fat on the prophetic, has grown fat on the thrills and chills of charismatic services where pink-haired prophets sort of come in and talk about jello and heaven and, and Ferris wheels and Christmas tree lanes and all this stuff, and they do nothing to reach the lost. We get all these prophetic words and we heap up mountains of theology. You can have all the best theology in the world, but if you're not leading people to Christ, what good does it do? It becomes hay and stubble that will one day be burned up when we stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ. I want to challenge you. How many of you have been so concerned with the condition of those around you that you're so overcome with the spirit of intercession that you can't get off your face for weeping for them? Some of you say, I don't know how to share the gospel. That's okay. You don't need to share the gospel yet. Get the spirit of intercession. Begin to weep for your neighbors and all of a sudden you won't be able to help it. I preached last week that before Aaron could go into the middle of the plague and stand between the living and the dead, he had to fall flat on his face and receive an anointing for it. We need to begin to weep in intercession for our neighbors. We need to, but listen, prayer without action does nothing. I value intercession. I value prayer. You know I do. I preach it all the time. I encourage you. Get to corporate prayer on Wednesday nights. Get into intercession. Spend time in prayer. But then let it birth something on the inside of you that produces action. Let there be no apathy. Overcome the giant of Hymen. One man said, love will find a way, but indifference will find an excuse. Do we have excuses or solutions? A hymen must die. We must begin to find out who our brothers are and rescue them. The issue is not whether they need a church. The issue is whether we realize this church needs them. Can we get real this morning? They don't need church. We need them. We need them because Jesus paid for them. The Moravians used to say, we will live to bring the lamb the full reward for his suffering. You know what the full reward for his suffering is? Souls, souls, souls. The third giant. I know y'all were coming for a thrill and chill message. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. Because I believe that in this, there will be such an impartation of passion for the lost. I want to deal with the third giant Caleb faced next. His name was Talmai. T-A-L. M-A-I, Talmai. This is what his name means. Brave, bold, abounding in depression. Brave, bold, but abounding in depression. Isn't that wild? To have two conflicting attitudes at the same time. To be brave and bold and yet abounding in depression. 
I think this is one that many have really, really faced. As we try to engage our culture, this giant will rise up and try to scare us into backing down. This giant will try to swell up and stop us from moving forward. He will try to intimidate and petrify us. When we're ridiculed, when we have a door slammed in our face, when we're threatened, this giant is trying to keep us from possessing territory. Do you really believe that our enemy will easily and gladly give up territory and souls that he once held with no fight? Scare tactics. Strategy to immobilize us. The enemy will try to frighten us into freezing. And one of the ways that he attacks the church with the greatest attack is with depression. There is no greater attack against the American church than depression and anxiety. I'm telling you, it is so rampant in the American church specifically. I had had a dear African brother tell me one time, and I was going to try and do his accent, but all I can think of is the Indian accent right now, so I'm not even going to try. But he says, brother, we don't have time to be anxious or depressed. I said, what do you mean? He says, we don't have time in Africa to be anxious or depressed. I said, what do you mean? He says, you have too much time on your hands because you're not winning souls. I think I'd red marks on both sides of my face for weeks. And let me be real. I know that anxiety and depression is a real fight. I battled it. I've told you in 2019, I'd lock myself in my closet and look at the shotgun day after day, thinking, how, how can I end it? We, we need it, but it's a real enemy. It's a real enemy. It's not that there might be some blood disorders and there might be some chemical imbalances and that might be all part of it. But at the end of the day, it is Satan who seeks to kill you. It's the enemy who seeks to take your life with a spirit of anxiety and depression. I know it's real and I know it attacks people. But let me say this to you. There is freedom. Jesus paid the price for it. We know and we can quote the verses of Scripture that tell us God has not given us a spirit of fear. We quote it, but why doesn't it work? Because it still holds us. And we've got to get free from it. It needs to be cast out. We need deliverance from it. Fear often motivates us. We operate in fear. We're afraid that someone will laugh at us, afraid that someone will point, afraid that someone will label us as a Jesus freak. Label me all day long. That old DC talk song, Jesus freak, right? We need some Jesus freaks. Afraid that we will have to give up our dreams and ambitions. You know, one of the the things that it, it broke my heart, I was talking with a young man, I don't know, a few years ago. I was in Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, I know I have a call of God on my life, but it's going to require everything, and I just don't want to pay it. I thought, how how sad to recognize the opportunity, but not be willing to pay the price. Listen, to follow Jesus will cost you everything, but there's no greater reward. And that doesn't mean you're called to a microphone. That doesn't mean you're called to a pulpit. But what you are called to is to them. In every walk of life, in every sphere of influence, whether you're a doctor or you're a professor or you're a school teacher or you work at a daycare or you do lawns, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You're called to them. You're called to them. Max Lucado says this, fear 
His mode of operation is to manipulate you with the mysterious, to taunt you with the unknown. Fear of death, fear of failure, fear of God, fear of tomorrow. His arsenal is vast. His goal, to create cowardly, joyless souls. He doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. He figures if he can rattle you enough, you will take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. Fear rattles us and keeps us from the significant. We settle for survival. We settle for less than what God has for us. That's what this third giant does. He keeps you bound in fear. I'm reminded of the story about lions. The old lion who had no speed, no strength, or teeth is positioned in one area and roars and scared the animals into running into young lions that kill him. Safety was only found in running to the roar. Some of you need to recognize you might be in a season where you feel like, I don't have the strength to run anymore. I don't have the strength to fight anymore. There's safety in the roar. Release the cry of intercession. Release the roar of intercession. Let it begin to come out of you and release a sound. We must make up our minds this morning that regardless of how loud or ferociously our enemy roars, regardless of how big he tries to make himself look, in spite of the fact that he looks strong, we must run to the roar. We must remember that the enemy has a counterfeit roar. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He's like one. He's putting on a show. It's a facade, a facade and a charade. He is like a lion, but he is not the lion. And let me say to you today, you have an authentic roar on the inside of you, and it's time to run at the false roar of the enemy and put him to silence. He's got no teeth. You know, the very first message I ever preached at eight years old was about a gummy lion. And I said something to the effect, I have it written down somewhere. The enemy has dentures. Knock them out. <laughs> Barbara on FaceTime thinks that's great. We must face this giant and declare with the psalmist as I close this morning. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. If we're to engage our culture, we must search and destroy the giants of prim and proper. Destroy the giants of prejudice. Destroy the giants of racism, of apathy and fear. We will be unlikely to make any impact in this city or in the lives of those around us if we allow these giants to survive. Before we can take any territory, before we can find the promise, before we can expect to grow substantially, we must deal with these giants and they must die. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance this morning. Because how do we defeat the enemy? We give him no legal right to our life. How do we remove his legal rights? We repent. and We get it under the blood of Jesus. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence right now. Stir us. Stir us this morning.
to reach our culture. Stir us to reach our community. If you have any of these giants in your life this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Say with me, Spirit of God, search me and know me. If there be any wicked way in me, this morning I repent for apathy, for prejudice, for racism, for fear. I repent for allowing the enemy to push me back. Today, I renounce and I rebuke every giant that has held me back from being a soul winner. Give me intercession for my neighbors, for my community, for my coworkers, for my family. This year, I will see people come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Susanna to come, and then I'll be back in just a few minutes to close us out. morning this are some announcements to highlight this morning just want to remind you uh, what pastor Jacob had talked about our corporate prayer on Wednesdays um, this reminds me of uh, a quote that Billy Graham when he came to Singapore and he and that was in 1978 and I was a teen then and um, and he said this uh, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. And we're not just talking about nations as a nations, but that's a nation right there, right? Just in our neighborhoods, that's a nation as well. Okay, so I want to encourage you to come for our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And uh, I know that uh, a couple of you don't like to drive at night and we might uh, need to uh, have a, get a ride, please. Uh, let me know, all right? So we want to make sure that um, people are covered, all right? That you want to come for prayer, but you don't want to drive at night. So just let me know, and uh, I'm sure we can find people to give you a ride to and, and from. So the next thing is on Thursdays, also want to remind you that we have our e-groups, the equipping groups. So the men will meet at uh, Ember's Loop, Pastor Hector's place, and the women will come here. I don't know about the men, but the women, I think we have been very engaging and we're always talking about uh, evangelism. Uh, and not only that, you know, lives are also changed. We pray for each other. We just don't know what God is up to. And that's the, the best part of it, right? We don't have like an agenda. Well, there is an agenda, but, you know, God will just uh, move according to His agenda. So come and avail yourself on uh, Thursdays at 7. 
and uh, um, here are some of the upcoming events. This Sunday at 6 p.m., we have a Holy Ghost service, and uh, our guest speakers are Pastors John and Rachel Javed. And uh, uh, Pastor John is the founder and chairman of the Consuming Fire Ministries of Pakistan. These, um, uh, this couple, they have also uh, started schools, Bible schools, um, huge crusades, all right? And, um, you know, we just want to make sure that we come and receive an impartation from God uh, uh, during the special service. So, and talking about evangelism, they have gone through the dark places where people normally don't go, all right? So this is really a bold couple, all right? So come, invite friends and family. So that's going to be on Sunday at 6 p.m. And then next steps, right? We're going to have next steps on the first month of uh, February, and that's Sunday, the 5th of February. Some of you have already told me that you are coming for next steps. If you still have not given me your names. Now, next steps is all about connecting to the church and really seeing what the church is all about. All right? So uh, give me your names. We want to just see uh, you know, how many people are coming because lunch is provided. So that's going to be on Sunday and uh, next steps will be after the service. So come and see me. If you want to have more details, just come and see me as well. And then keep your calendars open for April. Right? We have the Holy Ghost weekend with Apostle Brent and that's going to be on the 14th of April at 7, which is a fri Friday. And then the next day on the 15th at 7 as well. And then here for our service on the 16th of April, 10 a.m. and uh, 6 p.m. So some of you may not know Apostle Brent, but he's one of our overseers uh, of this church, and he has uh, uh, been a senior pastor of Encounter Christian Centre in New Zealand for many, many years. So it's very interesting that we are having people from different nations come in, and that's really uh, very encouraging and is, and is a, a privilege so he, his ministry is characterized by strong prophetic flows, right? So you don't want to uh, miss him. Uh, thousands of people have been impacted uh, by his ministry. Uh, we first got to know him at about, I think it was 16 or 17 years ago in Singapore when, when, when we were there. And uh, we attended his Seeking God camp and it was wonderful it's, it's not just the chills and chill uh, thrills and chills that pastor jacob talks about it's really a transformation of people's lives so that is what we we want in our own lives as well uh just also a few reminders uh this is tax season all right so if you need a hard copy of a, a tax return a document for church contributions uh please see shelly all right so shelly is right there in the front in red all right so you can't miss her so she's going to send uh, via email but if you need a printed copy just come and see her and i think she will give those letters uh, next sunday all right so they'll come and because we're on evangelism we have these little cards here so please help yourselves to those cards they're right at the table take as many as you want we have several boxes and uh let's just be catalysts of uh, you know what has been preached on Sunday, Amen. So I want to invite uh, Pastor Jacob uh, uh, as we tithe and give our offerings.
Thank you, Pastor Susanna. How many of you appreciate her this morning? I want to um, look at a, a particular verse this morning. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8 says this. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. The Amplified says it this way. I give this not as an order to dictate to you, but to prove by pointing out the zeal of others, the sincerity of your own love also. Now, there's one thing. If I said to my wife all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never showed her love, right? How many of you know that words can be real empty sometimes? Real empty. There's one thing to say I love you, but it's another thing to go beyond mere words and do something practical and that has tangible impact. I want to mention a couple things this morning. I know some of you call this home and you tithe and you give offerings here, but I want to mention missions this morning. We do a lot for missions around here. Uh, we give about, about $1,000 a month to missions for the size of our church, which is incredible. Um, we've been able to help a family in Ukraine over the last year who have been rescuing uh, orphans on the Russian-Ukraine border. It's one of the things that we do. We support our church in India, which we're going to in, in July. We support missionaries in Africa and the Philippines and Thailand. We, we support uh, Karen's sister and brother-in-law in Thailand where they've planted a church and they're seeing Buddhists come to know the Lord. And so we're doing so much for missions. So I want to encourage you this morning, pray about that. Pray about your partnership in missions. In this passage, Paul is directing that there had been other churches that had demonstrated their love by giving to the suffering church in Jerusalem. That's the context of this verse. And he's saying to them there, prove your love by now supporting this region. And, and I want to say to you that what we give money to is where we place value. It's where we place value. You say you love God? Prove it by giving. And I'm not even talking about just tithing this morning. I'm talking about sowing into lives that are being impacted. Maybe God will put it on your heart to support one of the, the people on the team going to India. Maybe God will put it on your heart to pay for their whole ticket. $1,500. Maybe God will do that. But I want to ensure that you're not manipulated by this statement. Because even Paul says... I don't give this as an order to you. I'm not laying down any rules. That's what the Good News Bible says. I'm not laying down any rules. But by showing how eager others to help, I'm trying to find out how real your own love is. This is something that only God can do to your heart. I don't look at what people give. I just know money comes in and money goes out. I don't pay attention to names. But God sees your heart. And one of the things the Lord challenged me on just recently was in my giving. He began to say, Jacob, I want you to increase your love for my kingdom. I said, well, God, I love you. He says, your pocketbook doesn't love me that much. That's what the Lord said to me. I said, but God, I feel like I'm generous. And he said, you're not generous enough. How does that look, God? And he began to give me some practical things. Begin to ask the Lord, Lord, how can I be more generous? How can I show my love for your kingdom? What am I called to give to? How can I give? 
If you call this place your home, love this place. But I want to encourage you with that this morning. And again, 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, I'm going to quote it out of the good news. I'm not laying down any rules. I give this not as an order to dictate to you. I'm not telling you this is what you have to do. Let God prove it in your own heart. Amen? We're going to give this morning. The KFC buckets are going to come around. There's a few ways to give. KFC buckets, kingdom finance collectors. We started doing this a few years ago. There was an evangelist in the 40s and 50s. His name was Jack Coe. Uh, a good friend of ours, Joanna Coe Herndon, uh, is his daughter. And uh, in his tent back in the 40s and 50s, they'd pass KFC buckets around to collect the offerings. And they'd line them up at the front and they'd have all these KFC buckets. I thought, that's a great idea. Let's use the KFC buckets. Let's pray for the offering, and then I want to do one more thing before we close. Father, I thank you this morning for the tithes and the offerings, and I thank you, Father, that we get to demonstrate our love for you in our giving. And I pray, Father, that you would multiply back to your people, God, in breakthrough, in jobs and better jobs, in unexpected blessings. And, Father, do what you do. You're provider. We have so many testimonies of how you've moved in the realm of provision. And so we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't ever want to go a service where I don't give you an opportunity to know Jesus, where I don't give you an opportunity to make a decision for him. And I, I know some of you, some of you I don't. And there are people watching from all over the world every Sunday. And I don't want to end this service today without giving you an opportunity to know what the Bible describes God as a God is rich in mercy. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he came to redeem us from the curse of sin. To set us free. To give us a new life in him. And this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm not going to embarrass you this morning, but what I am going to do is I'm going to invite you into that opportunity. And what you would say to me this morning is, Pastor Jacob, I've, I've never made a commitment to following Jesus. Or maybe you did years ago, and you'd say, I don't know where that commitment stands today. I, I, I want to rededicate my life to him. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to simply ask that you'd wave at me. Just raise your hand this morning. You're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus, or, we, or I want to rededicate my life. And there might be people watching my live stream. If that's you this morning. This morning, even if no one raises their hand, we're going to pray this prayer. Because what I've found is that sometimes people aren't ready to raise that hand. But they're like, man, I really want that. And if you pray this prayer this morning, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to see Pastor Hector and Pastor Susanna who will be standing right over here. I'm also going to invite our prayer team to come. Greg and Shelley, if you'll come. Wanda and Vanessa, if you'll come this morning. And then, of course, Hector and Susanna, if you'll come. And just stand behind me. Just start making your way down. They're going to be here to pray for people this morning. If you need healing in your body, if you need... Uh, a job, if you need breakthrough, they're here to pray for you this morning, each team. But this morning, we're going to pray this prayer. So I want you to pray with me. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I give you my whole life. Every part of it. Take the broken pieces and make me new. I give everything to you today. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, they're here for you. God bless you. Go in the power of God. Reach out to somebody this week. It's Pastor Susanna, those cards, they make a great tool. One encounter with God can change everything. We want people to know they belong here. 
Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.